Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, recipes, and more. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. On this episode, we're breaking down some recipes. You know, one of my favorite topics to talk about. But more importantly, we're breaking down how brewing can run in families. That's right, it's a family affair today as we look at beer created by my brother-in-law, Chris, and his journey from food to homebrew to a commercial brew, and all while we're at sea. And then we talk with my sister Amy about her journey into good beer, illustrated by two of her favorite recipes, including one that started as a Beecham family collaboration. So sit back, man the crow's nest, and enjoy a beer while we hit the high seas. But first, a message from our sponsors. Do you own a copy of John Palmer's How to Brew? If so, you know it's one of those truly indispensable resources for brewers. Well, it's time to replace that old dog-eared copy, because our friends at Brewers Publications have just published the fourth edition of How to Brew, and it's a totally new book. The new How to Brew clocks in at 600 pages, and every chapter has been updated and expanded, and there are five totally new chapters to boot. So grab your copy at your preferred beer book vendor, or buy it from the Brewers Association store if you want to get the book and support craft breweries at the same time. More info at BrewersPublications.com. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout. Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Welcome to a special family edition of The Brew Files on Experimental Brewing. I am currently sitting somewhere in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico with my my brother-in-law and special fellow tortury of my sister, uh, Chris. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? My name is Chris Geisler. I'm from Tampa, Florida. All right. And Chris, how did you get into homebrewing? Um, pretty much about 20 years ago. It was just a hobby that Actually, my father was always inter- interested in doing, and he never picked it up. So I thought I'd uh, continue the legacy, and I started reading up. Back then, I became an AHA member and got in, looked at their bulletin boards and read up a lot. So I was self-taught to begin with. I hadn't joined a brew club yet. It took me a, a year or so till I found one. And which one did you join? Tampa Bay Beers. Yeah, one of the big ones here in, uh, in Tampa. Well, I say here in Tampa, but... Like I said, we're nowhere near Tampa at the moment. <laughs> All right, so how did your pro- brewing progress? You started 20 years ago and, you know, extract all grain. I started out as an extract brewer 
and because I, you know, I'm the kitchen stove. And after uh, so many boil overs, um, I decided I'd do a little bit of an upgrade. I wanted to uh, have more of a variety of uh, grain profile, so I uh, I taught myself to, to all grain brew. All right, and then how many batches was that? Oh, till I started all graining. Oh, I probably did maybe twenty batches of extract. And then I was like, and I did an upgrade because at that point I was bottling, and <laughs> I, it didn't take long to figure out that. That wasn't for me. No more sitting on the kitchen floor going, snap, snap, no. snap. So now the real reason that we're sitting here, we're, we are actually uh, not, as a word of warning to the audience, we're not sitting here drinking beer because, again, we're on a cruise ship. And, well, there's not exactly a plethora of uh, craft beer here. More like a desert. <laughs> so we are currently enjoying uh, some nice bullet uh, whiskey. But uh, we did want to talk some beer things since it is a beer podcast. And specifically, there's one recipe that uh, we were talking about that you've done a lot of variations on and a lot of growth out of. So uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce this uh, recipe that you're known for? Well, I did a a wheat beer, but I did a lemongrass wheat. And I'm trying to remember exactly how many years back it was. I think I brewed it for um, a festival at our local zoo, Lowry Park, at the Wazoo Festival. And... Um, I was looking towards something that was a fairly neutral wheat beer, but I wanted a citrus flavor to it because being in Florida, that's what we were looking for. And at that point, I think orange had been overdone, so I was looking for either a lime or a lemon. So I decided to go with something that was a muted lemon and go with the lemongrass. All right, and so actually starting with whole lemongrass stalks. Yes, stalks. Right. And I I chopped them up and probably two inch pieces and they were stringy at the time. And then I sanitized them in vodka mm-hmm. and used them in secondary. Now, did you put all the like lemongrass and the vodka in, or was it just the lemongrass or just the vodka or I actually, at that point it was, I was newer to home brewing, So I didn't want to add the vodka for some odd reason. I thought it might do something to the actual beer. That seems forbidden. I know. You can't add alcohol They're to both. my alcohol. Yes. I actually strained, strained it through. And then added the uh, just the lemongrass to the secondary. Okay. And so now when we're talking the base recipe, what are we looking at in terms of grain? It was probably a Belgian white wheat that I used, probably no more than 30%. And then uh, uh, six row. So 70% of a pale malt, 30% of a wheat malt, and then fairly neutral hop. All right. We start with a fairly, a fairly standard Belgian wit base. No oats, no, no, nothing funky. Just, and then your original variations were just brewed with American yeast. Was uh, probably the Sierra uh, Nevada twenty. It was, it was no, it was definitely White Lab. At that point, I was using just White Lab yeast, so it was the zero zero one California. So you're going for clean, neutral profile presentation of the lemongrass. So now you said lemongrass soaked in vodka for how many days? Did probably a two day soak on the on the lemongrass. Okay, and then strain lemongrass into the beer. Correct. And how long was the lemongrass then in the beer before service? We, it was in secondary, anywhere from uh, ten days to two weeks. And then, like a- after ten days or two weeks, like you know, I mean, how how much lemongrass were you seeing, like in terms of the flavor, the aroma, the punch? Um, well, when it was young, and actually, since it was for a festival, it was consumed fairly young. There was mm-hmm. none that was was left over after the festival. So it was pretty pungent. 
is it was noticeable but not cloyingly so where there's too much lemon in it it was it was subdued enough that okay i can tell there's lemon in it pleasant hit not pledge hit right all right and then now so i know that this recipe grew in a number of ways we go from lemongrass wheat and then we go to a lemongrass wit do i have that right I would assume so. We we kind of did a, a variety where we added, I guess, our next edition. We started playing with treatments. We, I guess, enjoyed Vietnamese pho on a regular basis. Oh, and I think we should clarify when you say we. Oh, my my lovely wife, uh-huh. uh, Drew's sister. Yes, my, my evil sister, Amy. <laughs> Hi, Amy. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so we get into Vietnamese inspiration... So we're starting to look at pho and going from there, and where's that draw? And the next progression for us was, well, you know, I'd had some friends, basil beers. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was like, well, let's do a a batch, and we'll we'll split the batch and add a different treatment to it. So then the next progression was adding Thai basil to it. And that's the royal purple basil. Yes. And that came out to be a very very nice beer so and refreshing and actually i think we lent that recipe to a friend of ours popey fouch mm-hmm. and she entered that in the queen of hearts brew contest right and i think she won a medal with that so so glory by proxy yes <laughs> before we move off of the wit and the thai basil part can you express like what's different between sort of that thai purple basil and sort of the regular green Genovese basil that that we see with Italian cuisine. Well, the Italian, I would say, is more as a sweet basil as mm-hmm. opposed to. It's hard for me to describe what the flavor. It's more of a peppery. I always find that the Thai is is earthier. It has almost more of a mint quality. Mint quality. Yeah, it doesn't have that sort of big sweet licorice type thing. It's there, but it's not the big punch of the Italian. Right. To my mind. That Thai basil works a lot better when you're trying to do something savory. And I tend to think of beer applications as being something savory. So, Popey wins. The beer is a hit. Where do we go from here? All right. Well, I guess <laughs> at that point, we both, my wife and I, are pepperheads to a certain extent. So, Amy actually suggested that we add sriracha to it. I'm more of a purist where I thought maybe we should do it with the chili peppers. But mm-hmm. since we had plenty of sriracha on hand. I'd go figure. Yes. We uh, we then split a batch that was the the lemongrass Thai basil. And then the other half, we did the lemongrass Thai basil with sriracha in it. And it actually turned out pretty good. It We did not add a whole lot. I would say maybe three tablespoons per five gallons or five and a half. And did that go into secondary? That went into secondary. And then just kind of shake it into, to mix it, swirl the carboy or. Right. Right. So no, just going, okay, here we go. Drop. Yeah. Now, of course I have to ask the important question to me is, was the sriracha that you're using the proper huifong? Yes. uh, It was, it was not a knockoff. (laughs) (laughs) Huifong, for those of you who don't know, is produced in Irwindale, California, about 10 miles from my house. So it's our local flavor. It is California local, made with peppers, grown just outside of Los Angeles. And it's a wonderful product. If you don't like sriracha, I don't know you. All right, so we had the five gallons just with the Thai basil and the lemongrass, and then five gallons with the full Thai treatment of 
basil, sriracha, and the uh, lemongrass. With that three tablespoons, how much how much sriracha flavor was really coming through? Because if you if you're not aware, sriracha is basically a blend of peppers that are slightly fermented with a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, and garlic. So it's a fairly clean, slightly sweet sauce, but not sugary sweet. And I pretty much use it like ketchup. But at three tablespoons and five gallons, how how much of that was coming through? How much heat? How much? It was discernible, but not overly so. I actually think that I might have added two more tablespoons to it, to our taste. Closer to a half cup. A half cup. For, for those of you who can't hear, because Amy's off in the distance away from the mics, she's uh, coaching Chris on uh, <laughs> and correcting his quantities. You added two more tablespoons to the five gallons? I believe so. How did that final profile feel? Where was the heat? Where was the garlic? Well, the whole thing is I was trying to make a, a beer... Because I have a lot of friends that are also pepperheads, but a lot of people that are very scared of peppers. So I was trying to get it to where we were getting more of the pepper flavor as opposed to the heat. And at that point, you had to like really think about there's something in the background. I don't know what it is. I didn't want it to scream sriracha. I think we, we hit it fairly close because people weren't that I know or so they don't like heat at all, mm-hmm. we're okay with trying the beer. Do you think you selected for the pepper flavor versus the pepper heat just by the amount or by the amount of time? Or Well, it was it was trial and error. I was going to keep adding sriracha to it till we got to the point where, okay, if we go any further, it's going to taste. I made a sriracha beer, not a lemongrass Thai basil sriracha so originally it was three tablespoons in the secondary correct and then those two additional tablespoons would came that... at the end before kegging okay because i didn't think there was enough of the sriracha in it to to give it a little bit of the pepper flavor what were you doing the, the big rooster bottle over the carboy and uh, squeeze stir <laughs> squeeze no no it's a little more scientific than that i was actually measuring it <laughs> Well, I mean, look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the big squeeze thing. I mean, that's what I do every day anyway. You know, eggs, sriracha. We get to we get to that, and that turns out to be a big hit. Yes. Where where did you debut that beer that, that got you exposure with it? Beer Club. Beer Club at Mr. Dunderbox? Yes. Mr. Dunderbox in Tampa, Florida. A wonderful place to go have beers. And now with their own brewery, Dunderbrow. Dunderbrow at Mr. Dunderbox. <laughs> Not a paid sponsor of the Brew Files. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> We have one last place, I think, to go really with the whole story of the Thai lemongrass wit beer idea, and that actually comes with a whole commercial morph that happened with us. Right, so we take the same base idea. We're making a Thai-inspired idea, and now we end up on a pro system. So tell us about this. Well, last year, 2016, was the 25th anniversary of Tampa Bay Beers, and our brew club's goal was to do a collaboration beer every month. So there was 12 collab- collaboration brews that were scheduled for the year to com- with local breweries mm-hmm. to commemorate our 25th anniversary. Well, my wife and I chose the slot with Motorworks Brewing down in Bradenton, Florida. The head brewer, Bob Hay, was a personal friend of mine. He wanted me to come up with an idea. He did the formulation of the recipe, but we described what we had done but he was going to do it on a different level and where instead of using the sriracha, we substituted actual Thai chilies. Uh, so we went back to the purest mode. The purest mode, correct. And then we were wondering, okay, could we add another level 
and the idea of adding maybe a little toasted coconut in the secondary we give it an extra level to keep it in the the Thai frame mm-hmm. and we wound up calling the beer Thai PA. So now we we've stepped away from pure wit right and to a pale ale. Right. And now also there's another addition other than just coconut, right? There's now also rice involved. Was there? No. No rice. But what was funny is when we described what we had done, one of Bob's brewers had been wanting to brew that type that style Exact same thing with lemongrass, basil, and sriracha, or not sriracha, but the Thai pepper for years and hadn't really convinced mm. Motorworks to make that step. So he just needed the excuse. He, yes. And uh, he very pleased at being able to finally see his concept come, come to, to fruition. Yes. All right. So now on that system, how big of a batch was this? Like 10, 20? No, it was on their, their pilot scale, so it was a three-barrel. All right, now at three barrels, how many, like how much basil, how much chili peppers? Oh, and since uh, being the home brewers that we were, it was our job to do the treatment, <laughs> the, the chopping. <laughs> um, it, it was a lot. <laughs> I can't remember exactly how much, how many pounds each we did, but when we added it to the brew pot, the smell was incredible. I I could have bathed in it. I mean, it it smelled just like Thai soup. Did somebody get the uh, short end of the store on chopping the chili peppers? Yeah, yeah, that would be Amy. Oh, that would be Amy. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the 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 heat for the heat. Yes, that got released, and I mean, what was the what was the reaction there? I mean, they had a great reaction to it. They sold out of it pretty quick, and we for as a brew club had to had to scramble to get a keg of it for ourselves so we could serve it at the brew club meeting. <laughs> quick, quick, somebody's got to go to the brewery and pick up a keg. That's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we totally forgot. How'd the coconut get added? Was that in uh, that in secondary as well? Or? The coconut was added 10 days later, 10 days later after primary and into secondary. It was very, very muted though. I don't know if, if they were to do that recipe again, whether they'd want to to up it or just delete it altogether. Bob Hay, the the head brewer at um, Motorworks, suggested if he was going to redo the recipe that he would use a darker toast on the coconut in order to get more of a coconut flavor. And I understand that there's a possibility that this beer may be reappearing on a commercial scale. Well, it might be. We're we're trying to uh, talk them into a, a, a brew play date for uh, the Pro-Am competition at GABF. Maybe not this year, but possibly the following year. Do you think if you were to redo this recipe for the GABF Pro-Am, you, are you going to try and push for more of that coconut flavor? or Which way would you want to take it? I would think that it adds a little bit to it and and actually using the actual Thai chilies the amount of heat that came from the Thai chilies was exponentially more than using the sriracha well the sriracha gets muted with the fermentation that happens correct and the uh the coconut the sweetness from the coconut muted it somewhat I think it needs the coconut in it (laughs) so Chris any other uh thoughts about the the Thai lemongrass uh well, the the beer that you did or those combination of flavors that you think is important for brewers to know about? Oh, definitely. If you were ever to attempt the recipe, make sure that you put the lemongrass in a hop bag. Yeah, weren't you cleaning it out of owls? And- yes, and um, 
Motorworks did not do that either. <laughs> <laughs> so the the cleanup after the brew, um, the the mash tun was was messy. Yes, very messy. Somebody in there with a toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, this has been a uh, you know another episode of the Brew Files, the Family Edition, uh, starring Mr. Chris Geisler uh, and the Thai lemongrass Whitbeer. Maybe one of these days you'll hear from the other half of this uh, equation. We'll try not to. I don't want to scare anybody. <laughs> but don't forget, we will have this recipe online and available for people to see. In the meanwhile, if you want something kind of as a fun, uh, refreshing summary beer that's going to give you some different flavor profiles. Maybe give a, a Thai lemongrass wit slash wheat slash PA an attempt. Well, Chris, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the podcast in the middle of our cruise vacation. Because, hey, what better thing is there to do on a boat than talking to a microphone? It's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. All right, now, hey, welcome back, everybody, to the second part of the Brew Files family show. Uh, some people would say family feud, but we don't feud when we're brewers. We just talk beer. So uh, we just heard from my brother-in-law, Chris, and, well, you know, we do have another brewer in the family. It's my sister. Hey, sis, introduce yourself to everybody. Hi, Drew. This is Amy from Florida. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about our particular history of brewing and, and a recipe that I guess we kind of collaborate on, and then you told me I was full of it. I was pretty – you got me started on craft beer, what, maybe 15 years ago? At, at Russian River. At Russian River, I think I sat down and had just about every beer until the bells and whistles and bunny rabbits hopped over the stout. I, this is, and, and this is part of the reason why I argue with people that if you're going to introduce – People who are not craft beer drinkers to craft beer and want to get them excited about it, don't give them a blonde, don't give them a wheat beer, give them a stout, particularly if they like coffee. Absolutely. I had tried so many of the blondes and it just didn't work for me. But when I, and I don't know how many beers that you guys gave me that night, but we went through quite a few and you said that give her the stout. I'm like, oh no, not the black one. <laughs> well, and it turns out that was the one that was the winner. Yes. It was. Yes, I didn't even. I, I don't even think I bothered trying to serve you uh, plenty of the elder because that would have just not gone down right at the time. Now, if you'd like to serve it to me today, absolutely. You also developed an affinity for uh, pumpkin beers because after you got married, you and Chris started brewing together, and you liked pumpkin beers. I was. It was in the height of the pumpkin season, and of course, I had drank some of the shipyard because that was what was available in Florida, and as I developed my craft beer taste, pumpkin was definitely an easy go-to. If I remember the story correctly, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong, because you will. Of course. <laughs> you would basically ask, hey, you know, I really like the shipyard, and I think it was also the dogfish head. Well, I'll tell you what we did. Chris and I went to our local Total Wine and bought as many pumpkin beers as we could. So I think we ended up with about 15, and we did a blind taste test. So we poured them all in had somebody else pour them and number them. And the one that we both agreed on that we liked a lot was the Dogfish Head Pumpkin. It's a very good beer and also very much like Shipyard uses an English yeast. So it kind of gets a little bit of extra oomph to it that way. So I asked my baby brother to see if he could help us with the recipes so that I could get it as close to 
what I like. And I believe you wrote an obnoxious article about that. What, a younger brother writing an obnoxious article? That never happens. Yeah, I think it was called Wicked Sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, truth in advertising. I'm still waiting to hear the end. I want to read the unedited version. Yeah, no, that's going uh, locked away on the disc, so you'll never <laughs> see it. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's walk through the uh, the Wicked Sister pumpkin recipe because we have to go from there to what you did with it. The original recipe that as I wrote it up was basically for five and a half gallons, 1054, 23 IBUs, seven pounds of either domestic two-row or Maris otter, uh, me being me, I always use Maris, two pounds of Munich, a pound of Crystal 60, and then two pounds of uh, pumpkin flesh, which is basically either roasted, which is how I like to do it, or one big dang can and you throw that into throw that in mash it at a relatively high temperature 153 154 simple hopping some tetanang for 60 minutes and tetanang at 20 minutes because you don't really want uh, a lot of hop character in your pumpkin beers and then finally either add it at five minutes or made into a tincture uh, a quarter teaspoon of cinnamon a quarter teaspoon of ground ginger an eighth of a teaspoon of nutmeg and an eighth of a teaspoon of clove which is your basic pumpkin pie spice and then for me, since I don't like ringwood, which is what both Shipyard and Dogfish had used, I suggested using the Y-East 1272 American Ale 2. If I remember correctly, you went off and brewed this and had a reaction. Well, we did, but I didn't like your serving suggestions or your suggestions on the amounts for the spices because I'm a, I was a pumpkin girl. I know that you were not. And I wanted the pumpkin spicing. So I increased those measurements. I went to two and a half teaspoons of cinnamon, a quarter teaspoon of ground ginger, one and a quarter teaspoons of nutmeg, and one teaspoon of clove. Yes, I increased it significantly. Yeah, and particularly on the two, I would never increase. Afterwards, we decided that we probably would go down about another half. We would decrease the clove to a half a teaspoon. Well, and the reason why I say that is because both clove and, and nutmeg are both heavy eugenol carriers. And eugenol is an essential oil that they use, well, ambusol. You know, that's what mm-hmm. they, that's what they, you put on your toothache so it doesn't hurt anymore. So now how did how did your increased spicing level come out? You said, obviously, you adjust the clove. The, the beer was fantastic. I'll tell you, it was, again, like it was the height of the pumpkin season. My girlfriends drank it. It was gone. It blew out of our garage. Yeah, see, and I think to me the key about it is that it's not a it's not a sugary sweet type of pumpkin beer, and so many of the pumpkin ales, particularly nowadays, that you see are trying to go for that pumpkin spice latte thing, and yeah, you know, they end up kind of being weirdly cloying. Yeah, no, it was a refreshing pumpkin. It was not that sweetness that you get from some of the beers. We really liked it. Anything else that you that you would change about this, particularly given how your tastes have developed over the times? I want to say the the last one we did we added a little bit more hop characteristic to it because I've now developed that hop taste. Yeah, it, you you seem to go around housing a couple of IPAs these days. Yes, I do. Now, what we did do on this um, first one, though, is that we repitched the yeast about five weeks later. Of course, the original pumpkin was named the Wicked Sister Pumpkin. Thank you, Drew. And then uh, we did an Imperial repitched, and it ended up at about a 9 so it wasn't that high, but it was the um, Imperial Evil Brother pumpkin. Woo! Dip your pigtails in a in a inkwell. I do believe that you tasted both of those when you were home for Christmas, and you said that actually they you liked the Imperial better. Well, yeah, I mean because more. 
when you when you went to go make an imperial, did you do it by adding more pumpkin or just more base malt, like, or did you just scale everything? I think we just rescaled everything, and then um, it just ended up. I don't know how it got that higher alcohol. More, uh, more gravity, more, uh, more sugar, more fuel. I know a lot of listeners on the podcast are going to go pumpkin beer. So sick of the idea of pumpkin beer. Just wanted to show everybody that I know there are a lot of people out there who take my advice on how to brew things and look to me for recipes and all that sort of fun stuff. But sometimes you just can't even get respect from your own damn family. Hey, you're not always right, contrary to popular belief. I'm mostly right. Hmm. That's the pumpkin ale. But let's let's actually get into one of your original creations, uh, because that's what I like to really talk about, because I know how I think. And well, I kind of know how you think, but it's kind of messy and tangled in there. So why don't you elucidate for everybody? And let's talk about your next recipe, which was a, uh, well, what was it? Introduce it to everybody. I, over the last six years since I married my husband, which you were very happy about to introduce another true brewer into the family. And uh, Chris has <laughs> been teaching me and I have worked with him just on doing different recipes. He really loves the rye IPAs, so I've worked with him on those. He's done some wits, I think he talked to you about prior to this. We've done some stouts together. We've done a Russian Imperial, which is really nice. But about two years ago, I told him, I said, you know what? I'm going to start trying everything. If you get a beer, I want a sip of it. I don't want it to just be the stouts, the browns, the whatever. I got into IPAs. It was a gradual progression. And of course, I like the citra flavors better. So of course, that was my first thing when I walk in. I'm like, oh, I want an IPA, but can it have the citrusy flavors to it? By the way, I, I just want to stop real quick here and, and tell everybody, if you had told me 15 years ago that my sister would like IPAs, <laughs> and had asked me to put money down on it, I probably would have bet the mortgage on my house that that would not happen. And yet here we are. And I would have been right there with you. So I think the only thing that's safe right now are the sours. Can't get my head around those quite yet, but I'm on IPAs. Last summer, we were at a restaurant, maybe in the spring, we were at a restaurant and I tried a beer that just had this fantastic citra hop to it. It was amazing. And it was really light in alcohol. And normally I'm a, let's go big or go home. I want a big, bold beer. This was about a four, four and a half percent alcohol. And it was just so refreshing. And of course, living in Florida, it's hot. So it was the um, Sunshine Slacker by, uh, I think Seventh Sun did a collaboration with Evil Twin. And so we'd had some cans of it. And I was like, all right, this is what I want to have this summer. This is what I want in the kegerator. So Chris and I did some research. I kind of played around with some recipes. I'm I'm pretty good at like playing around and getting what the what the grain characteristic and some of the hops are. He's he's the execution person. He helps me. <laughs> we decided to do two session IPAs and we wanted to use two different yeasts because we wanted to play with it. We can do up to 20 gallons, but we did two five gallon. We did one 10 gallon and then did pitch two different yeasts in it. One we did this year in Nevada, White Lab P, what is it? WLP 001. Yep, California. And, and we, yeah, and then we did the California 5, which is the WLP 051. One of them came in a little bit higher in alcohol and it was a little drier. And then uh, one was a little lighter and less alcohol. So one was about 4% and one was 4.5. I like the one that was drier. 
I'm not, I don't like the sweetness to some of these beers. And so that was the one that I kind of wrapped my head around. I really, that was my baby. And that was the, that was the yeast that I had chosen. And which one was that? That was the Sierra Nevada. So the White Labs 001, which of course is sort of the go-to for presenting anything hoppy. And then what we did with it is for the 10-gallon batch, we had one pound of citra hop. That was it. Just a citra hop. All right. So pound of citra, exactly how did you split that up? It was done in five different steps. Uh, we did a quarter of an ounce at the at the start, and then we did 2.75, two pounds, seven, five at 10 minutes. And then um, at five minutes, we did 4.38. And it was some weird numbers. At at the end, we did another four and a quarter. And then um, in secondary, we did a half a pound. Ooh, or at a- five ounces. Sorry, five ounces. Still even uh, still even five ounces. That's a, that's a pretty healthy charge. And that was across all 10 gallons? Across all 10 gallons. Um, when we had them split into our car- carboys, of course, we just ma- measured two and a half here and two and a half over there. So, And then we had the different yeasts in them. It, w- it was citrus in your face. A little bit of that mango and pineapple thing as well, I assume. Yeah. And, you know, I was surprised because I'm not a huge mango fan, but it was it was just such a nice, refreshing beer. Again, mine was better. <laughs> just totally occurred to me that we got so fascinated by the amount of citra and the citra and the citra that we've totally <laughs> neglected the fact that before you can have the citra, you have to have a delivery vehicle, which means that you have to have some sort of malt in there. Yeah, we did the, the Pilsner malts, the two row. Mm-hmm. And then it had some white wheat, some flaked oats, and also some rye malt. Wow, a little bit of rye to give a little spiciness. Yeah, it was, yeah. Well, that's good. And then, of course, obviously, for all of our listeners, we'll have these recipes up on the website and linked in the podcast notes. So uh, you won't have to sit there and go, what did she say? <laughs> no, and I highly recommend the California yeast, the Sierra Nevada. Yeah, the other one. It is a classic for a reason, and particularly, like we said, with these hoppy applications. And it would help that I won a gold medal on it. Oh, where'd you win a gold medal for it? It was for the um, the Saws co- um, competition in Florida, which is on the East Coast. And I won for the IPAs with the Sierra Nevada yeast. I love the fact that you won for the IPAs with a, what'd you say, a 4, 4.5%er? Yes, it was 4.5. It was actually, we were shocked. And Chris, of course, entered his and yeah, nowhere near it. <laughs> not competitive. No, not at all. No, th- there's zero competitive streak at all in our family. Don't ever play Mm -mm. trivia with any of us. That's a death sport. Yeah. And turns out cribbages too. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other story and a whole other podcast for a whole another time. Now, you did that last last year. Are you planning on rebrewing it again this year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're definitely going to do the IPA again. Um, It's just a great beer to have around. We would take it to parties. Um, When we took mine, it was almost gone the first party. And then everybody had asked for it again. We've got a friend that has a party this year that's specifically requested this one. But my next beer that I really... This will be brewed in April. That way we have it right around, you know, end of April. So we'll have it for Memorial Day. But my, I would really like to concentrate on just doing a solid brown. Well, you, listeners of the podcast will know that I've, I've been pushing people to consider the idea of brown and that brown should be one of the next big waves. Brown is a great way for anybody who's been in a stout or a porter. Um, it's Brown's just the next natural step for anybody that's been there. And it can be very refreshing. Well, and I also think that it serves as a good halfway point in terms of a flavor base, right? You know, there are some flavors that do really well against light body things. There are a lot of flavors like coffee and chocolate. Everybody always associates with the idea of stouts and porters, you know, those dark things. And brown just serves as kind of like a nice 
bready base that can serve really well with actually almost all flavor additions. So that is really cool. Now, back on the, the citra here, sure. as you're getting ready to rebrew it, you know, brewers being brewers, you know, we tend to tinker. <laughs> Any tinkering uh, looking at yeah. this recipe? Um, the one thing that we want to do is it it what it didn't have the the clearness that I wanted, so that's going to be my focus is getting a little bit more of that clarity to it. Shocker in this day and age of people going, my hazy IPA is better than your hazy IPA. My <laughs> sister is going, no, I want clarity. Damn it! I just I think that because it's such a light, refreshing, dry beer that the clarity just will will lend something to it. It's something for me to shoot for. Yeah, it's always nice to have a target. Now, are you going to use last year you did 10 gallons because of the popularity of it? Are you going to try and brew even more? Um, no, we'll probably stick to the 10 because, again, we want to do a brown. And um, Chris is probably going to brew that wit beer again because, again, that's very, very popular down here. As I'm getting comments in the back, no New England IPA, that'll be on the list at some point. Yeah, well, you know, given our family history, you should be able to make the first Florida New England IPA cross pollination. Oh, I don't think it'll be the first. No, there's quite a few of. There's a lot of that down here now. Oh no, uh, yes, but how many of them are brewed by people who with feet both in New England and Florida? Well, that's true. So there you go. Think with a twist. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before we leave, any other comments uh, for the listeners about any of these recipes, either the Wicked Sister or the Citra? The you know. Here's the thing that I'm going to say about the Wicked Sister. Just because you get a recipe online, don't think that you have to follow it. Put your own touch on it because that's what's going to make it your beer. Not everybody may have liked that huge pumpkin seasoning in your face, but a lot of people did. And I did. And for me, that was what was important. Um, As far as the Citra, you know, Chris loved the other one that didn't win the gold. I loved the one that did. And that was okay, too. Everybody liked different ones. Again, make the beer that you want to drink. Don't worry about the awards. There you go. After all, you can't drink a metal. You can't You can't eat a ribbon. But True you that. sure as hell can drink the heck out of a keg. I agree. Amy, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to, uh, talk to the listeners and closing out the family affair. Who knows? Maybe we'll get mom to brew a batch of beer. You know, maybe we can work on her coming over here. Probably be a cider, though. <laughs> yes, probably would be a cider for her. <laughs> we can do that, though. Indeed. All right. Well, hey, uh, thanks again so much, and uh, we will uh, talk later. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this exploration of beer and family, the high seas and adventure, and very importantly, how beer can be a bonding experience, even if it still means your siblings never think you're right. So remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrewery.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, on Slack, on just about every homebrew forum out there. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on iTunes. Click the Amazon, AHA, or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Axel's Angels and the Desi Strong Foundation fighting pediatric cancer. So until next time, remember to always brew wacky, and the brew is out there. <laughs>